Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm with Tim Mandabi of Continuum Estate for a special Father's Day edition of our Wine Country Women podcast. Tim, I am so honored to have you with us today. Michelle, thank you very much. We've known each other for a long time, and I'm honored that you wanted to talk uh, with me about Continuum, about life, and uh, it's uh, terrific to uh, welcome you up to Continuum. Thank you so much. Well, let's talk about Father's Day first before we dive into a whole bunch of other stuff. You had a pretty famous father. So I want to ask you if you can tell me about a Father's Day memory with him. Oh, boy. You know, I don't, to be honest, I don't recall a specific Father's Day. What I do remember, some of my favorite memories growing up, uh, could have easily been a Father's Day uh, when we would all pack up in the car and head over to the coast and we would go to Goat Rock and my mom would make these fabulous hamburgers and my brother had this uh, barbecue that he bought at a junk shop. My father soundly criticized him for it, but it was the best precursor to hibachi and um, uh, it was a fabulous little thing that my brother found. But we would go out and barbecue hamburgers and uh, have uh, beans on uh, there at the coast. We would run up and down the ocean and uh, do cartwheels. And uh, they were some of my favorite memories. Uh, I'm sure there's many things that your father taught you. But is there one life's lesson? Oh, yes. Um, I think at the essence... I think my father would always say, um, have faith in yourself and have faith in others. And um, uh, respect yourself, respect others. And um, he would always be generous of spirit. Uh, and he would always uh, expect a lot of himself. But he would also uh, inspire people to their best good. And that's, those are some of the best uh, elements that I think was pervasive through everything he did. And, um, and you've it, tried to follow well, those? Of course. Of same. course I have. I think it was very successful for him. And he was the kind of man you wanted to be around. He had a lot of energy. He had a great vision. He was incredibly bright. But he also was extremely respectful of everyone and... Um, when you were in his presence, you just, you know, you wanted, you, you just reach for the best you could. So I think fundamentally that is, uh, that is powerful. And yes, I've tried to do the same thing uh, on a much smaller scale at a very different time. But uh, we do have a little bit of uh, that same spirit that I think my father inspired uh, at the founding of Robert Mondavi, which I was able to be there at the beginning of that and uh, saw that spirit, and uh, it's something we very much emulate here at Continuum. You are a father of five kids. Five little children, yes. Well, they're adults now. They are. <laughs> In the spirit of Father's Day, can you tell me maybe some favorite memories that you have with your children? 
Oh, golly. Favorite memories. I, I would say that we have done the same thing. We have also gone to uh, uh, the Sonoma Coast and enjoyed that very, very much. We also would go up to uh, Follow Me Flake. Uh, we've had a, cam uh, a cabin there that's a very humble little cabin, but it's on this divine lake. And just being there together with um, my children is one of those memory-making kinds of experiences that uh, are are quite powerful, really wonderful. That, uh, and so we still go up, we still go up, and still love it. Do you happen to have a Father's Day gift that stands out? Oh golly, a Father's Day gift—the gift of time, just the gift of presence—and I think that ultimately that's the most important. A positive spirit. Um, I'm very lucky in that the majority of my children live nearby and we get together often. Um, um, you know, four of my five children are, are in wine um, and uh, three work directly uh, with us here at Continuum. My nephew also works with us. I'm really delighted that my sister's son, Brian, also works uh, with us at Continuum. And so it's very much a family endeavor, and we've got a superstar team. Can you tell us about a challenging time and how the family has rallied to get beyond it? Well, also, you know, I think history sometimes repeats itself, both good and bad. Um, and I remember as a young boy, um, at a very different time, when Napa Valley was not the valley that it is today, um, People have to re uh, remember that in the wake of Prohibition, when uh, wine and spirits were against the law, um, wine was different from spirits or beer. It was recognized that not only was it needed for the sacraments, which I think opened the exceptions, but wine was healthy and good for us, as the medical uh, field would indicate. And so that is what got our family into the wine business. But but from that devastation, our family got into the wine business, uh, being led by my grandfather. Um, and in the wake of that period of time, uh, the wine business was how you got out of business. You didn't get into the wine business in that. But my family did persevere, uh, first at Sunday St. Helena Winery, which is now called Maryvale. And then at Charles Krug, which my um, family was able to purchase in 1943. But they were very difficult days. And so difficult finances, difficult recognition leads to um, uh, hardship. And there was hardship within the family and difficulties. And so uh, a few bumps along the way. And so my father was uh, ousted from Charles Krug. And, um, but he, he gathered us together, meaning us, uh, my brother, sister, myself, my mom, and said, you know, I've had a lot of offers for people to work that want me to work with them, but I've got this idea that we should start something ourselves. It'll take a long time. And if with your, with your approval and support, this is what I'd like to do. And so he gathered us together at that time and he embarked upon Robert Mondavi Winery. And we all worked there every summer. Um, I put the first valves on the first tanks as a 15-year-old boy uh, in um, 1966. Um, and it was incredible. It was such a fabulous time. And then 
things evolved and uh, the more recent history, did, the company did go public and um, there was a divided focus and uh, uh, as a result of uh, that, there was a lot of strife uh, within the company and it was re recognized within the family as well. Anyway, the company was taken over and so I had the opportunity of doing basically the same thing my father did um, at the same age, interestingly enough. Well, that is fascinating. Uh, my father was 53 years old when he began Robert Mondavi, and uh, I was 53 years old when I began Continuum. And so uh, history does repeat itself. And now in Continuum, I'm very lucky to have uh, much of my family around me. And uh, that is a great joy. But I think uh, an extended family within the organization that has the same goal around a very clear strategy. And that's important. That's very important. A great story. Oh, great yeah. Family History story. does repeat itself. <laughs> well, let's hope the, that it doesn't repeat itself again anytime soon. Well, let's hope that uh, just the upside is repeated. And, and every... Everything like today, as you were alluding to, it's a very difficult period in, in the world. It's a very difficult period in the world and a very difficult period, especially in America. Um, but I think it is important to um, uh, take these times to reflect on, you know, how do, we, how do we do things better? How do we do things at a higher level? And uh, as my father would say, you have to change with the changing times. And so when these, when these uh, moments of reckoning happen, uh, the good that can come from it is it gives you an opportunity of saying, gosh, what can, how can we do this better? How can we achieve that higher level? And I think that's what uh, my father did at Robert Mondavi Winery when he began there, a very narrow focus given the day. That's what I've done here with Continuum. And I think that the world is asking that we um, build bridges and not, uh, not walls, um, that we see the commonality in each other and help each other. Uh, and perhaps that's what Father's Day should all be about. We all have uh, fathers, we all have mothers, and we all have each other. And if we see the good in each other more than the bad, there is bad in all of us. But if we see the good and inspire that, learn from the bad, but move towards the good, wow, <laughs> you know, this. And I, I'm very hopeful that um, we will have a far better uh, future than our immediate past. We will, we will inspire one another to a higher level. And that's, I think that's what's happening across the world right now. You are a Mandavi. Your father is an icon in the wine industry. Are those big shoes to fill? Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you feel like you're held at a higher level than anyone else? Well, I think I think higher children, standards. Do you, I would say do you that, have a weight of the world on, you, on your shoulders? I have felt that, that's for sure. But I don't think that that's unusual for any young boy to look up to, to compare themselves in their youth to um, uh, a veteran and look up and see their father, see their mother, and say, oh my goodness, you know, why can't I 
think that way? Why can't I do that? But ultimately, in our day, we can evolve. But when I was young, um, yes, people would say, oh, my God, you've got big shoes to fill. And I would, I would kind of shrink, and I would say, oh, yes, yeah, no, you're right. Or you've got a huge shadow to get out from under. I'd say, oh, my God, yes, I know it, I know it. And I knew it, that's for sure. But I also heard another saying, uh, Isaac Newton said, one can have great vision by standing on the shoulders of giants. Oh, I love that. And I think that is also true. Mm -hmm. And so if you are raised with that perspective, and I think I was, um, I, then I think you can see beyond. And I think that I have, personally, I, have, uh, I wouldn't trade my history with, for anything because I've had to, I've been able to give birth to many fabulous projects around the world mm -hmm. um, and participate with great um, people in wine around the world. I mean, Opus One is something I was there from before the beginning um, and was the co-winemaker with uh, three successive winemakers from Mouton Rothschild. Uh, was able to know Baron Philippe de Rothschild and Baroness Philippine and, and then Philippe Ceres de Rothschild and uh, Julien and uh, Camille. Uh, to know that family intimately and to have them all be here too at Continuum. Uh, also to have worked with Marchese Frescobaldi and giving birth to Luce de Levite and Montalcino and owning Ornelia for a, too short a period of time in Masetto and working with Eduardo Chadwick and Shelley, uh, you know, that was, and to give birth to Senya. So I have, uh, I have been very, very fortunate. And from all of those experiences, we've distilled that into a, an appreciation for the essence of great wine, which is great sight. We've had the patience and the good fortune to then from uh, the, uh, from the, um, challenge of Robert Mondavi being taken over at the end of 2004. We had broken hearts, uh, but we had a bag of money. <laughs> and with that, we were able to secure this property and give rise to a new dream that is at a higher level and than anything we have ever been able to achieve before. And so I think Continuum really is carrying on with the best of what my family has stood for. And it has a very high, um, um, very high aspirations and and you know it's one of those things great ex great expectations great uh, aspirations are always in the process of being achieved and so we are well in the process but we've got you know we will carry it on it'll be a life's work and um, it's a wonderful life's work well, I think that you have done a wonderful job carrying on your father's legacy, and certainly you have carved out your own path. You've been so instrumental in this valley and its development. Well, I think the thing I'm, I, I was very, very proud to have been able to see the valley evolve from growing up here and seeing when uh, wine was not looked upon favorably, and now to see it among the very best in the world, being regarded among the very best in the world. That's a huge, huge change. And yes, my father was uh, one, of the, one of the many people, but he was also had the charisma and the vision and the dynamism to help make that happen. And so I was, I was very fortunate to be alongside him through all of that. 
and then now in a very small way, carry on that upward trajectory beyond what we ever did before. But my grandfather really got that going, Cesare, in 1919. And so it is something that uh, I am optimistic that my children will carry on as well. So I just get to be here at the moment, and isn't that uh, a delight? It is, and you're at the top of a hill. I'm, I have- Perched an, on top of a beautiful oh, hill. absolutely. We are Oakville with altitude. We have a 360 degree view. I see Mount Tam in the distance. I see the San Francisco Bay, the buildings in San Francisco. We feel the cooling breezes come off the Pacific Ocean through the bay up, up to where we are. We are 1,300 to 1,600 feet of elevation, so we have the cooling influence of elevation and of the bay. And a westerly and southerly exposures, dominantly a little bit of north, north facing, but mostly westerly and southerly facing vineyards that I think uh, in this area work on this rocky, red rocky volcanic soil that I think causes the vines to struggle and have this ideal package. We designed this winery to honor this land and um, it is doing it. You know, and every year we learn more about the individual parcels that we have, every individual block. And with the continuity we have, we're learning more deeply um, the nuance that nature has there for us to understand. We'll never understand it all. That is the mystery of, of nature. It is the world's most important teacher. And it is something that we will never we will never ever know it all. No matter how much we think we know, there is more to learn. And again, that's the fascination of nature. Continuum was envisioned as a single wine from this fabulous estate. And it is made, uh, we grow four varieties. Mm -hmm. uh, we have 55% uh, of the vineyards planted to Cabernet Sauvignon, about 30% to Cap uh, Cabernet Franc, uh, about uh, 10% to Petit Verdot and 5% to Merlot, all for the purpose of producing a single blend. Every year, it's a little bit different. Uh, every year, the, it is a subset. We grow 100% we grow of our own crop. Uh, we have the same team that understands it. Um, and so we, um, Every year we, we learn more about the diversity of all this and then we assemble this blend and raise it and uh, um, in a very classic, uh, classic way in the fermenter, meaning that we have 75% um, um, of our fermentation is in oak uh, uh, tanks and 25% in concrete tanks, no stainless steel. I believe that um, those vessels uh, allow this mountain tannin to evolve in a better way. We have longer macerations than a lot of people do, 20 to 40 days normally. It varies by variety, by block, by vintage. Um, we um, um, carry the wine with its lees into barrel. Uh, Two-thirds of uh, our barrels are uh, new French oak. Uh, One-third is once used. I want it to, I want us to be able to see the land, see the, the flavor and not be dominated by the oak. And then we bottle the wine. We only rack two to three times. We have minimal racking. We nourish the wine with the lees. So the aging is far more Burgundian than it is Bordelais. 
and we bottle without finding ore filtration. So um, we raise this wine to reflect this gorgeous property and to capture the complexity of the, the various parcels that we have and the nuance in an elegant, um, long-lived way. And so that's the essence, but that was always the, the identity of uh, Continuum from the very beginning, and now we are just farther down the path. And you poured the 2017 vintage of Continuum for us. Is this the current vintage? Yes. Yeah, the 2017 vintage was a very challenging year. Talk about challenging times. Uh, the 2017 vintage was a very challenging vintage. It uh, was the vintage that had uh, rainfall, enough rainfall during the winter season that was fabulous, and it broke the drought that we had had uh, for a number of years prior, about five years, I think it was. Um, so abundant rainfall. Everybody loved that, loved that, loved that. People were worried about dams having too much water, <laughs> but uh, we were able to get through that uh, momentary panic and uh, just were delighted. The vines developed resiliency. They were strong. They were healthy. Here on the hillsides, that's important. Uh, in the valley, it's always there, but even more abundantly in uh, abundant rainfall years. Um, and... Um, the vines were going along, everything was fabulous. Got through frost, got through flowering. Uh, Labor Day comes along and uh, we had, I think it was seven days of record heat over Labor Day that set records in San Francisco. It wilted the Petit Verdot to half a crop of the Petit Verdot. Uh, everything was a little bit, it stunted the vines, but fortunately here at Elevation, our peak temperatures were about 10 degrees cooler than the valley floor. Um, and so fortunately our vines were able to recover from that. And then we were able to begin harvest. And then we had two thirds of our crop in when that fateful night of October 8th, that Sunday night, the winds, the horrific winds came through the valley. I've never seen anything like that. And uh, those winds knocked trees into power lines. It ignited all the abundance of grasses that were throughout, and Napa Valley was set ablaze. And so, long story short, all the, the fruit that was still out, a third of our crop that was still out, it turns out we did harvest, we fermented, we saw what they were like, we were hopeful, but ultimately we were not able to use a drop, one drop. Uh, we sold everything in bulk. All that came after harvest because the um, smoke taint uh, was somewhat visible in fragrance but was offensive in palate. The, and every um, increased taste um, would amplify, it was a, the, the negativity was cumulative and uh, it was um, a major challenge. So Mother Nature was telling us something 15, we had a half a crop. 16, we were had a hangover from that cold snap that caused the problem with the 15, so we were 20% down. With 17, it looked so great, and then Mother Nature said, not so fast, um, and she said, uh, respect me, respect me. And so then 18 and 19, we've had good, good not only quality crops, uh, it's got to be great quality, but it also the quantities were more normal. And then, um, and then now um, uh, the market <laughs> is evaporating. 
So, um, but I'm confident that we'll get through all of that. Well, if 17 is out and your production was lower. Yes. So, hmm. it should be okay, right? Yes, we will be okay. Mm -hmm. Your wines are spectacular and this is no exception. Well, I mean, the thing I love is beautiful. that this rocky soil causes the vines to struggle and there's a lot of layers. You'll notice um, we call our vineyard Sage Mountain Vineyard because um, we don't have an Apple, a separate appellation here uh, on this area known as Pritchard Hill. Pritchard Hill it, itself is not an appellation, it is a trademark owned by the Chapelet family. And they've been here on this hill longer. I mean, our family has been in the valley for a hundred years. Uh, not many people can say that, but uh, a few can, quite a few can. Sage Mountain Vineyard does say a lot in those three words. Uh, uh, it says mountain, which is different from valley. Um, the valley, Napa Valley, represents 4% of the wines of California. Um, but the hillsides, I think, represent roughly 4% of the wines of Napa Valley. So it's a very small proportion. And the vines typically will struggle more, far lower yield, less of a surface area plant, because economically they, you just could not do it in the past. And that, right. so hillside vineyards were abandoned as a result of prohibition and uh, the period thereafter. So now we are rediscovering the hills as we have an opportunity of, of pursuing quality at, at the very highest level. And so I believe that that is what is represented here. But sage, sage mountain vineyard, sage is, grows abundantly here naturally. And so uh, sage, the manzanita, the uh, uh, chamise that is in the area, it, it provides biodiversity, it provides uh, the fragrances that I think you can also see commingled with the four varieties from this red rocky volcanic soil. And so it says a lot about the fragrance, about the texture, about the flavor of this wine. And so um, that's important to us. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. You know you love wine. And with Total Wine & More, you'll always drink interesting. Total Wine & More has a ridiculously large selection of over 8,000 wines. From California to Australia, Bordeaux to Argentina, all the best wine regions in the world can be found in their aisles. Whether you're looking for a rare vintage or something fun and quaffable, Total Wine & More is the place for those who know wine. Well, let's move on to talk about your career. When did you know you wanted to get into the wine business? Was it inherent or... Oh, golly. Well... You know, I grew up at my father's table, and we would always have <laughs> at least two two glasses of wine on the table at all times, and we'd always ask us to compare them and articulate things and and say what our preferences were. And so I grew up at Charles Krug Winery, and mm -hmm. it was my playground. Um, um, and I knew that winery from a kid's perspective better than anybody, uh, and I used to harass all the tours that would go through as a young boy. Um, but... Um, so it was in, literally, in my blood, but... Um, um, did you ever think you wanted to do something yes, else? Yes, I did, because there were difficult times back then. Economically, um, uh, wine was not thought of then as it is now. Uh, it was a struggle. 
uh, line was how you went out of business, not into business. Uh, and so it was a difficult time. And so my father and my uncle had different philosophies about things, and my father was ousted. And this was all during the time I was thinking about a career. And so I was thinking about marine biology or architecture or something of that nature. I love sciences and I love, um, I, I love design. And, um, um, but then I went to Europe uh, for the first time in 1970 with a buddy of mine and we went around various areas and uh, my father gave me a list of people to see. And I went to uh, uh, visit uh, Louis Demptos he took us in, and on a Sunday, on a Sunday afternoon, we had an amazing meal. That um, where there were three generations of the Demptos family, and their extended the Saunders were there. Veronique Saunders continues to be at that estate, and I continue to have very fond memories. Uh, um, but um, the um, that convinced me that that wine was as varied as it, as it is, that there was an opportunity to create a, 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 an artistic stamp on it, that I could do something about that, and also um, that families could get along. <laughs> and so what a, can you imagine that? Um, so that's when I began to be a little bit more serious and took the classes necessary for enology and viticulture. And my father, shaped my career and shaped, shaped a lot of people. And we co-evolved um, co uh, the wines. I, I did take responsibility for embarking on the more organic nature in the vineyards as well as uh, raising the wines more naturally. And I was in love with Burgundy and the philosophy of Burgundy inspired a lot of experimental work. And so we were able to shift from the era of repression of fault post-prohibition to, I think, Robert Mondavi began the first wine raid that started from the get-go that by virtue of having lived through the microbiological morass of post-prohibition era, uh, it adopted 100% stainless steel fermentation. Right thing at the time. We didn't understand my, uh, microbiology all that well. And so it was the right thing at the time and we were able to have a clean environment in which to do tremendous amount of research work. And ultimately, I think Burgundy helped lead us back to embracing nature in a more simple way. And so everything that I have seen is that if you can guide Mother Nature uh, to what it would naturally do in the best of circumstances, uh, then that's a whole lot better than any repression. But wine is a... Is, um, a function of man and nature. I, uh, my father used to say, making good wine is a skill, fine wine and art. And I would say, artistic wine is an expression of man's harmony with nature. And I really believe that. Wine, um, if we know when to guide and when to stand out, uh, away, that's the best thing for the wine. And that's what you're doing here at Continuum. Yes. So let's talk about your personal life. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? Oh boy. What's your <laughs> style? Oh, my style. Um, I, um, I tend to be somewhat private. Um, I, 
was trotted out as the winemaker at Robert Mondavi for uh, 30 years. And I always felt that there was this huge image that I had to uh, at least not destroy. <laughs> right. And, um, and so um, I uh, have been uh, able to see the world, um, the wine world, and great restaurants and... Uh, in many different parts of the world, and and I absolutely uh, have cherished all of that. But I like to live nicely, uh, simply. I um, built a home in 1986 that was uh, that is on what was known as the Wapo Hill Vineyard. Um, uh, my brother is on a knoll that is just across the way, and my father was on the top of that hill, and. Um, so it is a, a little bit of a California ranch home, I suppose. Lots of windows, sliding large doors, large windows from the kitchen. The kitchen is, I love cooking. I love food. I, I can cook a decent man meal. I don't have the patience to do elaborate cooking, but I can do a decent man meal. And, uh, I'm sure you uh, do better than a man meal. Well, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been exposed to, well, you have Sarah Scott is in your book. I adore Sarah. She is one of the most talented chefs in Napa Valley and is just a delightful, wonderful person. She is. Um, but she was also able to be ex exposed to all the great chefs that uh, have come from France, from Italy, from America, through Robert Mondavi. I, she was able to work with them and cook for them, uh, and I was able to observe from a distance what they were doing and, and, and benefit from that. So yeah, I love good food. I love, I love simple style. Um, so you have a great kitchen. I've got a great kitchen, absolutely. <coughs> What's your color uh, scheme? I'm a, I'm a bachelor. I'm a single guy. That uh, I have five children that are there often. Um, their mom comes over often. We celebrate... Uh, we celebrate their birthdays together. We celebrate uh, lots of things together. And um, um, what's your favorite room in your house? Oh, the kitchen, absolutely. It is yeah, the, the kitchen, kitchen is, and the well, my bedroom is 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 very relaxing. But the kitchen is where I spend the vast majority of my time, and it is very open. It's very very open. It can be in good weather, and it can be closed. And it's breezy. It's open. It's on the perch of a hill, and um, I love it. Sounds I've perfect. got a nice pool, 25-yard pool. I swim uh, every day or nearly every day, try to stay fit. Um, I desperately need that. I can, I can actually put a sentence together if I swim, and occasionally I have difficulty counting forward to 10 if oh, I don't. That's ridiculous well, <laughs> so can, not yes, true I can be quite that <laughs> when you're not making one of the world's best wines how do you like to spend your time other than cooking mm. do you have a hobby I love, I love travel mm -hmm. I love uh, snow skiing I was in Japan this um, Hokkaido uh, Niseko more specifically twisted the hell out of my left knee. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have ACL surgery since, but I intend to get back on the slopes this uh, coming season. I love, I love snow skiing. I love scuba diving. Um, 
We do sell our, I am very lucky in that we do sell Continuum uh, um, throughout the United States, not every state, but because we're very small still, but we do, it is represented in Europe. Our most important single market is London <laughs> throughout the world, I mean, even including the United States. Well, if you put California together, we divide it into Northern, Southern California, but, but England is uh, our uh, largest single uh, distributor. That's fascinating. <laughs> we also sell uh, Taiwan is a big, uh, so Japan is big for us. I mean, we're very small, but for us. And uh, so I love travel through Asia. I love Japan, uh, South Korea, uh, Indonesia, um, you know, it is, uh, Singapore is fabulous. Um, what Europe. do you enjoy about those countries? Give me one oh, or two things. I love things. their food. I love their food. The food. And ultimately I love, um, there are great sites throughout the world. There really are. And everybody, everybody, people are so alike throughout the world, but they show their, their humanity in very different styles. And I think food has got to be um, a universal, um, a, it, it's a universal language of love. You know, it's a universal language of love where um, you take something from the earth, you fashion in a way that nourishes and brings people together. And if you think about it, a meal is the most important social institution in the world where you share a meal with your family, with your friends, with acquaintances and it nourishes you, you share your joys, you share your sorrows, uh, and it's, I, I think it's, it is the single most important social institution in the world, and so why not celebrate that? And different parts of the world all celebrate it differently, exactly. but they all celebrate it, and isn't that fabulous? I think so, I'm gonna go on a trip with you. <laughs> um, one of the last questions I'm going to ask you is, when you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, lots of different types. Um, um, lots of different types. Sometimes, uh, you know, I guess the music that I grew up with, uh, Van Morrison is fabulous. I think he is a, uh, a soul shouter. <laughs> um, um, I love classical music. Um, uh, Cesaria Avora was a woman from Cape Verde that uh, it's a little bit like uh, Caribbean music, but with a more soulful uh, tone. Brazilian music, I love that. I have Pandora, so I put all these things on and uh, in different moods. I love uh, Tony Bennett. Oh my God, I think he is such a uh, iconically uh, he comes across as a great man. I've met him once, just uh, ever so briefly. I have too. Yeah, and so he is know, fabulous. He is. He is. He is universally fabulous. Always upbeat. Always singing these songs of the heart and songs of aspiration, mm -hmm. and always, you know, he seems like such a wonderful fellow. I don't know much about him, but he just seems like a wonderful man. Um, and so you, you hear the soul of people when you hear them sing Lady Gaga. My God, I, oh, yes. isn't she amazing? She is. So there are lots of different types of music that I, I think are pretty That fabulous. you enjoy. 
Um, a bucket list item, one that you can share? Oh, golly. Or have you done them well, all? Well, you know, I have, no, I haven't done them all. Um, I have had as a bucket list item, I've, I don't know if I'll, uh, I would love to swim from Alcatraz to Aquatic Park. Um, really? I have the escape from Alcatraz type of thing. I've um, swum in the bay a number of times um, through the Dolphin Why? Club. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, uh, we would get all dressed up and go Christmas shopping in the big city. Uh, you know, way it, it was a big outing all the way into San Francisco. It was a big outing back then. And we would get dressed up and go Christmas shopping and maybe see the Nutcracker. But we'd have um, dinner at uh, Modesto Lanzones uh, in Ghirardelli Square. And um, fabulous Italian food. And Modesto was the consummate uh, restaurateur. He would uh, always greet us warmly. He was always dressed impeccably. And his food was incredible. And his wine list was absolutely terrific. So we went in there for a family meal and, and he would come in, help us. Uh, he'd greet us all. He said, Oh, Bob, Bob, you look, you look great, Bob. You look great. And I said, yeah. And, and he would sit down and we would order the meal and then the wines and then he'd go away. And then he'd come back and he said, Oh, Bob, Bob, you look great. You look great. And he would keep doing this a couple times. And I, and I would look at this man, and he was vibrant himself. And, and, and I said, and, and back then, kids were meant to be seen and not heard, so you don't say much. But he kept coming back and always gushing over my father. I said, Modesto, Modesto, you know, you're always talking about my father, but how do you stay so fit? You look great. So, oh, oh, I swim every day. I said, oh, well, where, where do you swim? Oh, just down there, down there. I looked down at the bay, and he said, yeah, I, I just swim down there, down there, uh, in the bay. And I was flabbergasted, flabbergasted that anybody would swim in that frozen water. And he said, oh, yeah, I swim every day. And so I said, wow. You know, back then, San Francisco was this mysterious place to the, me as a young boy. And then this incredible man who had this fabulous meal, this, this wonderful restaurant, and it was just, it, everything was terrific. So I said, you know, one day I'm gonna do that. One day I'm gonna do that. And so now I've done that. I've done that. But I haven't, um, I haven't done the Alcatraz to swim. I've, I've swum around Aquatic Park a number of times. Oh my even, goodness. <laughs> uh, even Christmas Eve, I think I did it one year, which was, oh my God. That was quite something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's bragging rights. It's bragging rights. I haven't done it too many times, less than 20. But um, when was the uh, last time you did it? It was now, um, I think, about two years ago. Okay. It's still quite impressive. <laughs> I have well, to say. Well, that was my purpose, Michelle. <laughs> quite impressive. Um, last question how, how would you like to be remembered? Mm. Oh, golly. <laughs> you, I mean, you are really such, you're one of the most genuine men I know. You're so mm. accomplished mm. and um, just just a true gentleman. Um, I'm just kind of curious to know. Well, I would, I would love to be known by my family as a good father. Um, I would um, 
love to be looked upon as um, a good member of, of our community, um, a, um, you know, contributing to our industry, contributing to the people that, I, I, I like, this is my vision, this is um, just another good person. You know, just um, and so I think that it is it is important to um, live what my father taught: live proud of yourself, but proud of everybody. Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list, so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.